You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, there you go, and welcome everybody online in the room. I'm glad to be with you today and get to start something brand new for all of you here. In the 9 a.m. service, of course, you're seeing me live. For all of you who are watching this at 11 and 12.30, you're seeing me on a video right now because Carrie and I are down at our South Campus today with our brand new congregation in South Austin. But we'll be back here in North Austin at our North Campus next week. All right, Uh, so let's get going into something I'm super excited to start with today. We'll start like this. Perhaps you have heard of the recent sociological phenomenon called quiet quitting. Have you all heard of this? Yeah, Yeah, quiet quitting is this thing that's happening across all ages and stages of life, particularly in the United States. It's something that young people are doing, adults are doing, people of faith are doing. Uh, People are doing this thing called quiet quitting. What is it? Well, sometime last year, a 24-year-old TikToker more or less coined the term, and it does not mean literally quitting your job, but it means basically giving the minimum amount at work while still remaining employed. Like, as in you're there physically, but you're not there emotionally. So you're like, that, that is me. And you're like, you show up, but you've basically given up. Why is this happening? Well, there are a lot of factors involved. This is something that's happening on the heels of something else that you've likely heard of, something called the Great Resignation. And that was the term coined at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when millions of Americans just collectively quit their jobs due to fear or sickness or stress or all of the above. So now here we are with fewer people in the workplace overall. Many workers have been asked to do more and more with less and less sense of purpose. And so they, many of them and some of you, have kind of given up. And to know how that feels, by the way, to be asked to do more and more with less and less sense of purpose, just ask any teacher right now. But quiet quitting isn't something that's just happening in the workplace, it's something happening in relationships as well. Marriage researchers have noted almost an epidemic of couples who, while they're technically still in the marriage, emotionally, they've moved on and they don't plan on coming back. They have quitted quietly. So it's happening in the workplace, it's happening in relationships, it's something happening with the whole generation now. You know that mental health in young adults now is also shockingly bad. And while studies show this has improved somewhat since it's super low point in 2020, and that is a positive, still in the most recent study from the University of California, San Francisco, nearly half of all young adults have reported low mental health conditions to the point of needing professional help. And while, as you know, and as you've seen, We're all for getting professional help. The fact that half of a generation is basically physically present, but not emotionally available and present, that's not a positive. Quiet quitting is something that's happening. Again, work, relationships across a generation, happening in the church of Jesus in America as well. As in people are showing up, but they're not really engaged. Now, thankfully, By and large, it has not been the case here, and I am so thankful to you for all of that. I'm so thankful to God for all of that, but still, why is this the way things are overall? And here's the word. We'll put it in a nutshell. Many of us are exhausted. That's the word, exhausted. And people are exhausted for a number of reasons. Many of us are exhausted from living in a world dominated by bad news. Now, if you know me, I'm not really much of a crier. 
My wife, Carrie, jokes that one of my sons and I, we share an emotion. Like there's just one between the two of us and we kind of take turns passing it back and forth and caring for it and feeding it and watering it. And then the other person asks for it when they need it back and we just give it back. But it's not quite true, of course. It gets a chuckle. But I can remember, maybe you can too, in, in 2020 and 2021 at multiple points, just lying on my bed, sitting on the sofa and reading the news and inexplicably crying. Tears would just come down my face at the state of the world and the state of my friends and the state uh, of the church. And I know I wasn't the only one. And when George Floyd died, I know some of you went to a place that you might not have even come back from yet. I get that. Or now, and you see the news and the stories come out of Turkey and Syria and Ukraine, it's just easier not to look. We get exhausted by bad news. And not only that, but some of us are exhausted from overexposure to social media. 100% of studies, this is a true statement, show that the more exposure a person has to social media, the more unhappy they are. In other words, no research has ever shown that the more you're on social media, the happier you're going to be, no matter what Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk had to say in the matter. And that's not good because for millions of people, when you've been stuck at home and then now you've chosen to stay home because what was sort of forced on you in terms of lockdowns has now become your choice, a lot of Americans are turning down to something for an electronic hit, which is this thing right here. Yes, you're smartphone, but turning to your smartphone when you're lonely is like turning to salt water when you're stuck on a raft in the ocean. It looks good, but it only makes things worse. So we're showing up, but for a variety of reasons, many of us are on the verge of giving up. Now, some of you may be saying at this point, Morgan, you're kind of talking to me. If I were to be honest, I've kind of already quit. I've got one foot and two hands out the door. That's me. Or some of you, by contrast, some of you, hopefully a lot of you would say, well, Morgan, I'm actually doing great. And if that is you, I am thrilled. I would hope that with what you have to give, you would help lift others. And maybe, maybe some of you would even go so far as to say, Morgan, I, I would never quit God. I never quit my faith. I never quit the local church. And, you know, I'm glad to hear that. I hope that's true. I feel the same way. But regardless, regardless, what can be done for us all? Where do we go from here, culturally, in our moment? How can we do better? Is it even possible to do better, live better, feel better? And the answer is yes, it is. Because into the middle of this kind of conversation, in the middle of all of our bad news and our exhaustion, into all of our weariness waits, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, fully God, fully human, Jesus, the God-man, God in a body, comes into this conversation. Now, if you ever wondered what God is like, in a way, in a way, you don't have to wonder that anymore because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus came to show us what God is like, who God is like. And when Jesus came, he came to a people exhausted by oppression from an empire. He spoke to a people weighed down by religion. He came to a people overtaxed and overrun and said then, and he says now today to everyone and anyone who would listen. Jesus Christ said these words, John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only 
to steal and kill and destroy. Oh, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief, he said, comes to steal. Thieves, like religion, steal. Thieves, like pandemics, kill. Thieves, like political idolatry, destroys relationships and nations. Satan and all of his forces do all of this. But Jesus said, oh, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this word, life, you should know. It's an amazing word because it doesn't just mean biological life. It's got nothing to do with cells and science. That would be the Greek word bios, which Jesus does not use here. Instead, when he says life, Jesus uses another Greek word. It's the word zoe, yes. Zoe is a state of being which is characterized by vitality, health, energy, life, flourishing, purpose. Zoe is a life of beauty lived to the uttermost. A state of being which remains resilient when tested and centered when successful. I have come, Jesus said, so that my people, my followers, may have lives of Zoe. I'm not like the thief who takes it away. I've come to bring it. And that's amazing. Oh, but I want to tell you, Jesus didn't just stop there. He kept talking. He said this, I have come that they may have Zoe to the full. And this is such an incredible statement that most translations, maybe your Bible, it struggles even to agree what it says. And the reason they struggle is because it's this word, parasos, the Greek word which means beyond measure, exceeding abundantly, excessive, more than is necessary. So Jesus says, I have come to bring Zoe beyond measure, more vitality and resilience and beauty of soul than you even think that you could ever need. Now, at this point, let's pause and remember who we at least say (laughs) we believe said this. We believe, again, this is Jesus. Christians historically believe. He is the creator of all things come to life. We believe he's a supernatural being who was temporarily encased in an earthly body. He was murdered on a cross, but then he got the last laugh over death when he came back to life. Now he has a resurrection body. He exists in heaven, and he, he will, from there will come to judge all things, and he's got the power to send himself in the form of a supernatural person named the Holy Spirit to live inside us, and we say we trust him to save us from our sins and to bring us through death into his own presence in a place called heaven for an eternity. We say we believe all this. We sing this. We celebrate this. And yet, when that same person says, the reason I came was to bring you the kind of life that can flourish and bloom right now, no matter what, we squint. We side eye. We pause. You know, we hesitate. When that same person says, I came to bring you a flourishing soul, we doubt. Now, not openly, maybe because we're too old school Sunday school for that. So we just keep reading and say, nothing to see here, moving along. But why? Why would we trust? Why would you trust Jesus to be your savior from sin and death and then turn around and doubt him? When he says that you can have the kind of life and soul that flourishes and overcomes. Why do some of us trust him when he says he's God, but then we turn around and doubt when he says he can give us abundant Zoe life now? I think there are three reasons why we look at it. I want to look at them real quick. Some of us doubt Jesus' words because some of us, on one hand, 
are simply unsure of what his words mean. Now, this one's easy, so let me try to clear it up real quick. Jesus didn't say, you'll notice, that you would have an abundance in life. That's something prosperity gospel folks try to get you to believe. Now, I hope you do have an abundance in life. I hope you make a ton of money and you get the house and the car and you invite me over for that matter. But this is not that. Jesus never promised an abundance in life. He did promise an abundance of life. A soul that can always come back. A heart that withstands the attacks. Minds that bounce back from defeat. Courage that knows no retreat. Feet going in front of the other. An overflow to love sisters and brothers. Power to forgive. Commitment to grow. All because he has said so. You're welcome for that, by the way. Not necessarily an abundance in life, but an abundance of life. But second, some of us doubt his words, not just because we're unsure of what they mean, but because there might have been some unmet expectations. Unmet expectations, as in, what we thought we were supposed to experience as a Christian didn't happen. So when Jesus comes barging back into our world now, in John 10, 10, and says, hey, you, I've come to bring you an abundant life. We say, slow your roll, O Prince of Peace. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not falling for that believe in you for the big stuff kind of thing again. But remember, Jesus never promised. Your friends would always treat you great. His didn't. He never promised you'd marry the person of your dreams. He never married at all. He never promised you'd be an international influencer with millions of people on your platform. He never promised you wouldn't suffer, feel fear, or pain. But he did promise you could have an abundant life in the middle of all of that, no matter what. But in the end, I don't think that being unsure of his meaning or having unmet expectations have as much to do with creating and maintaining the gap between what we say we believe about Jesus and what we experience from Jesus. What else, finally, thirdly, creates a gap? What creates and maintains the gap we experience between believing the words of Jesus and then experiencing them? I think the main thing that creates and maintains this gap is less unmet expectations and more an unexamined lie. Less unmet expectations and more an unexamined lie. And here's what that looks like, that lie looks like. You may know I played baseball for quite a lot of years. I coached baseball for even more in something that's never changed and probably never will change and something I kind of hope doesn't change is young kids who idolize a superstar. Like they see a guy, a player who plays super great, maybe in baseball, for example, he's known for kicking his knee real high when he swings. So when they get in a game, what do they do? Kick a knee real high. Or maybe they saw a player slide headfirst into a base and the helmet came off as they were sliding in and the player looked super awesome doing it. So what did they do? And this is true, I've seen this before. I've seen a kid stealing a base before they began to go. They lifted the helmet up <laughs> on top of the head. Deliberately didn't have it all the way down so that when they ran, it would fly off and they'd look super awesome too. Only instead of flying off, and this is true, it fell backwards, it hit their feet, they tripped, fell down, got tagged out. Kind of like calf roping <laughs> on a baseball diamond. Down they went, tears cried, humiliations galore. A generation ago, it was this guy everybody wanted to be like. Some of you may remember the name. Most of you won't, but you're welcome here for the Gen X throwback. This guy played for 20 years in the majors. His name was Julio Franco. He was one of his baseball cards. All right. Guess what? Hold that up for a second. Guess what he was known for? Yeah holding his bat right over his head, aimed square at the pitcher. 
So guess what literally every kid, including myself, in the 80s and 90s did? We held our bats over our head at some moment and swung the bat. Now, how many kids do you ever think actually got a hit doing this? <laughs> Zero. Why? Here's why. It's because they, we, they failed to understand that no matter how gifted they were in their own way, they forgot that their star, their hero, didn't only bat or play that way one time in one game. They looked at his success, marveled at the success, and forgot that prior to that swing in that game, there had been a total overall bodily, physical, whole life commitment to a life of preparation that enabled a certain automatic response when it mattered most. See, in athletics, the timing of a swing, the precision of a throw or a catch or a shot, even an improvised play that wins a game, those things aren't created by the short hours of the game itself. No, the timing, the execution, the success, the flourishing of an athlete are all created because of a life of commitment hardly anyone sees. And the same is true, of course, in music, in dance, in theater, in brain surgery, and yes, rocket science. And as a matter of fact, some of the things that enable an athlete's, again, for example, athlete's success aren't even a part of the game. What I mean is this, what they do off the field, what they do off the court impacts the success that they have on. Successful athletes eat well, rest well, exercise well in order to bring out the life they are capable of. I can think of, maybe you can too, because I follow it, two NBA stars right now. Sorry for all the athletic references. I'll have something else in just a moment. Two NBA stars who came into the league at 20 years old, both of them thinking they can still eat quarter pounders and McRibs every night as a pro and still win. And when their bodies inevitably broke down under the pressures of a lack of fitness while trying to compete at a higher level, one made the adjustment and is having a career year, the other didn't, and his injuries linger. And what is true for athletes, what is true for students, what is true for your job, I want to tell you, is also true in your spiritual life. For you, for us to live at a higher level, to be able to deal with the pressures of life right now, to be able to flourish and live the abundant life Jesus said he came to bring you and bring out of you requires we deal a death blow to the unexamined lie. We can live however we want and expect Zoe, the abundant life of Christ, to flourish. See, it's not just unmet expectations that create the gap. It's an unexamined lie. How can we close the gap? How can we close the gap between the abundant life Jesus promised us and what we experience? The answer is this, it's pretty simple. We have to live the life Jesus would live if he were us to the degree we can with the resources that we have. Say it again, we have to live the life Jesus would live if he were us to the degree we can with the resources that we have. Yeah, there it is. In other words, to have the life of Christ, we have to practice living the life of Christ. This seems obvious, but let me show you why it's so crucial. Dr. Dallas Willard, a great Christian philosopher, professor at USC, he said this, quote, nothing less than life in the steps of Christ is adequate to the human soul or the needs of our world. Any other offer fails to do justice to the human soul or the needs of our world. Any other offer fails to do justice to the drama of human redemption, deprives the hearer of life's greatest 
opportunity and abandons this present life to the evil powers of the age. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as a necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. So what can close the gap and enable us to live life on the highest plane? It's this, life in the steps of Christ. Or let's turn it around, steps in the life of Christ. Steps in the life of Christ. What were his steps? Well, he did, you know, he did get off to a big bang with his birth. That one's kind of hard to follow up, you know, and replicate. There was the, you know, angels and shepherds bit back in Bethlehem. But after that, how did he live? Right after he made his first public appearance, he got water baptized. Then he spent a month in seclusion and fasting as his ministry grew. He became successful. He became influential. He spent time still in solitude, prayer. He quoted scripture. He worshiped. He sang, he consulted his heavenly father extensively before making big decisions. And out of that principled preparation, he led a powerful and impactful life. He performed miracles, loved his friends all the way to the end, even when they didn't love him back. And he died a death, unsurpassed in beauty and power. In other words, Jesus Christ didn't just show up on the spot, hold his bat up over his head, Cross his fingers and hoped he hit a home run. Got to hit off the devil, you know. He lived in a unique way that empowered a unique life. He lived a life of miracle moments fueled by a principled process. Listen, hear me. The miracles didn't come despite a process, but as a result of it. Now, listen, you know, we just finished our series on miracles. You're like, yes, Lord, I was here for those. You know, love all that. We believe in that. We have to have those, need those. This does nothing to mitigate any of that. But miracles, come on, aren't all that Jesus did. He didn't heal people 24-7. That was a fraction of his life. 99% of his life was spent living with spiritual rhythms that allowed the miracle 1% to blossom and be expressed. He lived rhythmically, which expressed itself miraculously. In other words, Jesus, hear me, as a human being, and here we're getting down to brass tacks, embraced a life of spiritual disciplines. And at this point, some of you are reacting to the dreaded D word, oh God, no, anything but that. Morgan, I'm an American, you know, how dare you tell me that word? But hang in there and give me a chance. And some of you are saying, this is the point where he makes us feel bad and beats us up about stuff we're not doing. No, 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 nothing could be further than my heart or the truth. This is not about beating anyone up. This is not about making anybody feel bad. This is actually about helping us feel better. You feel more alive, having abundant life. This is about, where I'm going next, embracing the kind of life Jesus showed us we were meant for as humans. Because as a human, He lived like this. He showed us what it was like to live fully alive as a human being. He didn't just show up in a moment and hope for the best. He lived a certain kind of life which brought out the best. A few years ago, I was on the lake with uh, some friends when I was going ridiculously, dangerously, some would even say unsafely fast, on a jet ski with one of my sons on the back right behind me holding on to me and, I, and, and we were on the lake and I swerved to avoid an oncoming boat I didn't see perhaps because of the excessive speed I crashed, fell off, blew up my elbow tore a ligament, blew up my knee cartilage damage, all that my son and I skipped 
like rocks across a pond. <laughs> Thankfully, he was completely fine. And while we lay there in the water with my body feeling like a crash test dummy, I could hear his voice from behind me, Dad. I was like, yeah, Dad. I said, what? He said, that was epic. <laughs> so he was fine, and we got out of the water, and there I came, you know, up on the shore, limping and holding my elbow and grabbing my knee. My, my wife, Carrie, says, this is what you always do. <laughs> she said, I'm just glad it was you and not him. <laughs> Quote, unquote. <laughs> Guilty as charged, and she was right. Here's my point. I may be free in my mind to go as fast as I want. I may be free in my mind to ignore limits and believe I have the reflexes of a 21-year-old. <laughs> I am not free in my body. Therefore, to continue to experience the abundant life, come on, of good health and a happy body that remains outside of a hospital. I don't try to turn a jet ski going 75 miles an hour. If I restrain myself in one area, I experience Zoe in another. And this is now the beautiful, liberating paradox of abundant life. When we limit ourselves in the ways Jesus showed us, it brings out the best in us. When we embrace the right rhythms, it allows us to sing and dance, as Stevie Wonder put it, in the right key, in the key of life. Some of us are exhausted because we've been dancing the wrong rhythms. And that's why you feel today how I look when I dance. So you get that later. See, Jesus showed us the right rhythms and the key of life that enable even the worst dancer to look like Michael Jackson, yeah, Shakira, Misty Copeland, yeah. Dancing to the wrong beat. It's exhausting. I know from experience. Dancing to the right rhythm is invigorating. When Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty, let's put it all together. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's what he's saying. Come to me, all of you who are quiet quitting. Hmm? Come to me, all you who are exhausted, burned out from bad news. I'll give you rest. I'll show you how to dance on key. I can show you the right rhythms. And that's beautiful. But again, once more, he didn't just stop there. He kept talking. And immediately, he said something many of us forget, something which is the very key to living a life of Zoe. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yokes are something that cattle wore to guide them. So Jesus is saying here, don't cast off every yoke or you don't need a yoke, or hey, you're a super smart 21st century, smartphone addicted, you know, self-actualized human being. Choose your own yoke. Doesn't say that. Here's what he's saying. He says, take my yoke. Every human being, you, you will wear some kind of yoke. It'll either be the crushing yoke of self, performance, false saviors, or the yoke of Christ that guides freeze and bring Zoe. So let me ask you, what's guiding you today? What are you yoked into? Is it your culture? Parents' expectations? All the collective commercials that influence you and more that you'll see tonight in that certain game, right? Is it all the rules you grew up with? Well, whose yoke are you wearing? Jesus said, become my student. Learn from me 
take my guidance and yoke upon you. And when you do, that's when you'll experience zoe and rest, abundance. How can we do that? All right. My goal over the next five weeks is to do my best to help you learn how to be a student of Jesus in the rhythms of life. I'd like to, with the help, of course, of God's word, try to serve as a guide which can help us embrace Zoe, this abundant life God has called us to. And we'll get there by exploring week by week five tensions in which we live right now and then applying a particular practice that can help us dance in the tension. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at what it takes to dance in the middle of the tension of between, first of all, work and rest. Some of us struggle with work, right, don't we? Overwork, underwork. Second, community, solitude. How do we navigate these things? Lament and celebration. Body and soul, right? Some of us struggle with our body. We struggle with our soul. I mean, how do we navigate these things? We're schizophrenic in our culture. We need help. Five, how do we navigate our present and our future? See, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ came. He lived in the middle of every one of these tensions, and then he died, and then he was resurrected to prove that not only does he love you, but that you can trust him at every point along the way. He was crushed by the yoke of the cross so that we could wear his yoke of freedom. And I want to tell you, if you can trust him, come on, with your eternity, surely you can trust him with your right now. So... Together, let's find our footing, find our rhythm, and start to learn, maybe in a new way, how to dance the rhythms of life. I can't wait to start and to help us get going and to talk to you a little more about this. Week by week, we'll be introducing some simple ways to begin to help you dig in a little more beyond Sundays. First up is this. I'm going to be writing a little series of devotionals, some extra thoughts. We call it bonus content. Yes. They're going to come out every Tuesday over the next few weeks, and you can sign up for them just by going to our website right now, if you'd like, and clicking on the Zoe banner on the homepage. You'll get that every Tuesday morning. So sign up, get going, discuss this in community groups, and I'm believing in six weeks' time, church, as we move through this and we begin to practice what is preached At the end of that, you just might say, I am beginning, maybe in a new way, to feel more alive, more full of abundant life than I ever have. That's my hope. It's my heart for you. Let's start to dance together. Amen. We take a moment and pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come and we ask for your help and for your grace. Many of us are exhausted, weary, feeling burned out. That's okay. You said for us to come to you. And you, not our vacation, not our television, not something else, would give us rest. But we desire to take your yoke upon us and learn from your gentle and humble and heart. And through you and from you, we can find rest for our souls. Help us to do that in increasing ways. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.